if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Hi everyone, at Horse Chats today, we've got Jen Hamilton. Now, for people who haven't heard of Jen, she's been around for a long time. Well, you know, I've known Jen for quite a few years. She's been out to Australia a few times, and I'm certainly very, very good coach. So I'd love to introduce you to her. She's just recently written a book, which we will talk about in another episode called Stride Control, Exercises to Improve Rideability. But today we're going to talk to Jen, who's just show jumping clinician. Before I introduce you, though, I just want to remind you about International Horse College and with a mission to improve the welfare of horses around the world through the safe education of their riders, handlers and trainers, International Horse College has been very thorough in the selection of courses for a wide variety of people who already work or are preparing to work in the horse industry. For more information about these government accredited courses, go to internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, welcome, Jen. How are you? I'm very well, and thank you for having me. Oh, great to have you, Jen. Great to talk to you again. You know, we're just having a quick chat about an interview I did with you quite a few years ago, you know, a bit of a grainy video and um, a bit of a probably not very good sound. So this should be, you know, just more up to date information about things. But Jen, you know, just having a quick chat to you. Now, normally we ask people, you know, how did you get start horses and everything else? What gave you the idea? We're not going to go into the book in this episode, but what gave you the idea to start off? I mean, there's obviously a progression through to become a show jumping coach. How did you first get started in show jumping? And did you do like any other horse sport before that? Well, I grew up in upstate New York and all little girls, I think, want to ride, love horses. And so there was one stable that was near us called My Place Stables, aptly named. And we went and took lessons there. And it was, I would call it a hunter-jumper stable, uh, in that um, that was the only discipline that was done around us. There wasn't even pony club. But we learned to do everything with the horses. We were basically, at this barn, slave labor. Yes, that's not an uncommon story, the whole come and do stuff. But I think it works both ways, you know, because if you're keen on the horses and you want to be there. It was the greatest thing in the world. And, you know, you worked your way up and you learned all about the horses. And you, those who had a passion for the horses stayed with it. So I w- we were very lucky. Um, my parents bought us, my sister and me a horse. We um, shared it. And we started to show a little bit, and we actually wrecked the first horse. Everyone should be prepared to wreck their first horse. We did, so don't buy a fancy one. Anyway, uh, we then, um, you know, got more horses, and my sister dropped out, and I continued riding. And, yeah, it just progressed, and I then went to... um, Finished my junior years and had done very well, but I went off to university 
And I decided that I needed to make some money while I was at university, and riding was the only thing I knew. So I started giving lessons, and that's how it all happened. So, Jen, I've got two things. What did you study at university? Because I'm always interested. You know, a lot of people come in and say, well, I actually was studying how to be a teacher. I just became a writing teacher instead. Or it could be something completely obscure, like, oh, well, I did law and then never actually practiced it because I went on the show jumping circuit and just stayed there. So what did you do at uni? I have an undergraduate in psychology. Okay. And I have a teaching degree. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So the teaching and psychology does help with your teaching. Exactly. And the the good thing about it is when the Canada started developing a coaching program, I became the darling of the coaching program because I had the equestrian expertise and I had the education degrees, which they wanted, which gave me total credibility. Yes, I have an education degree too, and I think it certainly does come in handy at times, yeah. Oh, exactly. No question. Normally when I get people on, I forgot to tell you at the beginning of the chat, but I'm sure you're going to be able to fill me in, a favourite quote. Do you have a favourite quote that you use all the time, that you use a lot of the time when you're teaching, or something that inspires you, that you just, you know, you might have written on a wall somewhere? Okay, this is probably not what you expect. But my favorite quote is actually, the wonderful thing about sport is that it allows us to care passionately about something that doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it stops people in their tracks. I haven't heard that one about before. Is that something that you've come up with that's your philosophy? No, you will have to read my book because it's in it. We are actually at a coaching seminar With all sports, there were people there from boxing and synchronized swimming and everything. And we went into a course called The Psychology of the Coach. And when we walked in on the board, it said, the wonderful thing about sport is that it allows you to care passionately about something that really doesn't matter. Well, you should have seen everybody's reaction. Cody, the boxer, went nuts. And then everybody calmed down and went, Yeah, that's actually true. (laughs) And I like the quote for putting things into perspective for people. And when things are really going wrong, you know, and you tell them, well, you know, it was only, you know, three seconds in your life, they don't really listen to you. But then when I say, does it really matter in the scheme of your life right now, it settles things down. I, I think it's a, I've used it a lot, and I argue both sides of that quote. Because does sport matter? Yes, it matters to us. But then again, you can argue the other side. I think it's interesting. Yes, there's certainly a lot of, um, you know, where you were, a lot of talk and a lot of discussion. Mm, yeah. But it's also, you know, talking to riders. I mean, it's how many are going to the Olympics? It might matter to the people in the Olympics or, you know, the elite athletes, but most people are amateurs. You know, keep it in perspective, people. You're doing this as recreation. Yeah. Jen, your books, and now you did start to tell me about, um, you know, I know you've written a few manuals and about the ideas for books. You started to tell me a story about 
it actually all happened in Australia. And I said, no, no, hang on a sec. Don't tell me. Tell me when we're actually doing the podcast because I find that if people tell me a story when we have our our sort of pre-chat, they don't tell it as good the second time. So I haven't heard this story either. So if you can tell me, that would be great. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, I went to – I was doing some clinics at Corralbin and in Bow Desert, and Christina Wilkins actually organized the clinics. And Christina had just started working for Horses and People magazine. It was just a, a small magazine then. And Pretty sure she still does. Yes, she does. She's now the editor pub, and owner and publisher, but now it's a glossy magazine. It oh, wasn't for sure. at this. Yep. So anyway, I'd been teaching. I knew Christina, and I had been doing this clinic here. And I came home from the clinic, and I was just so angry because of attitudes. So I wrote this rant that was called, you want the glory of winning, then take the responsibility for the ride. And I typed it all out and I emailed it to Christina, just out of the blue. And she looked at this and said, hey, this is good. And so she, they actually published it. And then having, then going back and doing more clinics, Christina said, you need to do some articles for horses and people. At this point, it's now turned into a glossy magazine. And so I did eight articles, progressive development of training articles. And they came across quite well. When you look at the final book, It has most beautiful um, graphics in it. And part of the success of the book is because of the graphics. And they were done by Christina. And they were done for the original magazine articles. Okay, so we finished doing the magazine articles. And then, I don't know how it happened, but it was decided, let's turn it into a book. Well, that sounds quite simple, doesn't it? But it turned, it was a very long process. And a book was put together called To Jump Ahead. And it was really quite nice. I mean, it was lovely. It had, it sold well locally and to, at clinics and this type of thing. But then, and we kind of finished, you know, we didn't have anyone else to sell the book to. Use the population we had. And we didn't have any advertising budget or anything. So on a lark, we sent excerpts to Trafalgar Square books. And you know what? They liked it and said, we'll publish it. And so they took the whole thing, had me add a few things, and they rearranged the first book into the second book. The second book is beautiful. I I kind of equate... Compare the two books. A Jump Ahead was like a lovely, talented horse with lots of potential, written by an amateur, where Stride Control is that lovely, potential horse written by a professional. That's the difference. The book is stunning. And I always have to say, part of the reason it's stunning is because of Christina and her beautiful graphics. 
Yes, yes. Well, the, the bit, you know, and I haven't seen right through the book, but I can't remember, you know, I know I was doing some other, you know, just sort of catching up with you and, and how you're going and even the information stride control and just the little arrow that shows the takeoff, the landing and, um, yep. you know, the line going over the jump itself. So I think just that, it really, it makes the image so much better. Because it just shows and oh. describes and, yeah, yeah, everything. Fabulous. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. Now, just taking back, Jen, because, you know, I did a chat with you, you know, quite a few years ago and you surprised me with one of – because I asked you the question and you surprised me with the answer and I want to know if that was just, oh, yeah, I was just in a bad mood that day, you know, I just answered it that way or, or else, no, that's my really strong hey, I've been, I've been sitting all day in the heat. Well, that's right. That's right. Yes. But I asked you about advice for people because I have this all the time. People wanting to get into the horse industry. Okay. So, and I advise people all the time, you know, go out, learn as much as you can. And the jobs in the horse industry are just expanding so much. And, and often they come in maybe with a complimentary job, you know, even like you have, you know, with a university degree in teaching, but you're still an instructor. So you've been able to combine the two and have a coaching program, you know, those sorts of things. So me, I'm always encouraging people to get into the horse industry because I think it's a very, very, very fulfilling role. I think the whole myth about there's no money in the horse industry, you know, I think that's just crazy. There may not be in the early stages, but I think if you're really passionate and you're focused and you want to do the best job you can do, you can be quite well paid within the horse industry. But your answer back then was, oh, I wouldn't even – it was something a bit – no, no, I'd just tell them. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Did I say I'd lock my daughter No, in the no, no. You, but you did say – oh, I'd tell them to go out and get a real job and just ride your horse for pleasure, you know, and that surprised <laughs> yeah. me a bit. It surprised me a bit because you'd been coaching to professional coaches, you know, and talking – coaching people who are in the horse industry. But what's your view on it now? I mean – if someone comes to you who's got a bit of talent, you know, who can ride a bit and is a bit focused and, and you know that whatever they choose to do, they're going to do a good job at and they would like to get into the horse industry. What would you tell them now? Well, I still feel the same way in many ways. I, and I think because it takes us a, a, a total commitment to the sport if you're going to do it professionally. And probably my response last time was in reference to rich kids who go, Daddy, I want to go into the horse business, and they build them a stable, and then it peters out. So that was probably part of my answer. But really, for anyone going into the horse business, as I said, you have to have a real passion for it. And I think you have to have very high principles and ethics. I think that is so important. And you have to know them and believe in it because you can be questioned or, you know, things can come up, you know, sell a horse here or there. I, so I, I think your ethics have to be very strong. I think you have to be a person who instills trust in the animals, and in the people. And with what's happening now, again, it goes back to high ethics and principles because of what's happening with all this safe sport business that we're having now. 
I don't know if you know about that. No, just tell us a little bit more. People um, within all sports, but in the equestrian sport, people have been charged with sexual assault going back 50 years. And it's called safe sport. And people are really watching this. I think it's, I totally believe in safe sport, but I, it's, everything gets out of control for a while. But because of the way things are and the Me Too thing, I mean, you've got to be very careful on this. And so it really goes. You must have, have ethics and integrity. Okay, you start with that. You must have that. Then I think you have to be a good horseman. You have to have the passion for it and this type of thing. It's to be a teacher, you have to have communication skills. And you've got to be observant. You, you've got to observe, you've got to care about what you're observing, and then you have to be able to communicate it. Articulate, you know, and be articulate and clear and concise. I mean, I'm, you hear people teaching, they go, well, you know what I mean. Well, actually, the rider doesn't know what you mean. So, I mean, they have to have very good skills. So I'm saying it's integrity. You've got to be observant. You've got to be able to communicate. People have to have trust. You have to be a good listener. And in the end, I think you have to be, you have to have a teaching system, a progressive teaching system. And I think in the, it's all wrapped up into an ethical, humble person. How is that? I think what you've done is you've described what I think most instructors and coaches are aiming for, you know? So you have that person, and we're all humans. We all have got to aspire to something. And if things do go a little bit wrong, I think you've got to have a really good think about, well, why did it go wrong? Why did it go wrong? Where did it start to go wrong? How could I change this, you know, right back in the very beginning? Did I say something to someone or how did it all start? And I think you've got to keep reviewing, you know, almost like reviewing what you've done every day, every lesson, every every time, or every time, oh, that jump didn't go well. You know, what could I have done different? Should we be doing this? Should is this the right the right exercise for the right rider? Or is it the right exercise for the right horse? Because, you know, I think when you described about a very talented horse with an amateur rider and a talented horse with a professional rider, well, the requirements the exercises you do are going to be quite different. Same horse, but two different riders. And I think you've got to, as a coach, really know and understand the capabilities. Things have to be appropriate for the level of the student and the horse. And that takes years of experience. I remember last time you asked me what I thought the um, biggest mistake that young teachers, beginning teachers do. And my answer was, they teach the last thing they learned. Yes, yes, which is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, if someone's out there and they're competing and they're having regular lessons, you know, so it's not necessarily a bad thing. But, yes, I think it can be out of focus and uh, they're not looking at what they're seeing and what the problem is. And you have to remember the progression of how people get to that, you know, different – there is a total progression and that – Teaching someone to use an indirect rein because you had just learned it is not appropriate for someone else. No, you're right. Yep. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. 
That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. But I think if someone is out there coaching and teaching, then they should be continually learning, you know, learning themselves. Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, you become stagnant. And the thing is, even if you're not participating in a clinic yourself, going and watching the exercises being done, the way an exercise is described by the clinician, I mean, it's amazing. You can have 10 clinicians. We can all be saying the same thing, but slightly differently. And some people will hear it better from one of those 10. I mean, honestly, I can go to clinics all over the world and people go, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, you're so brilliant. I didn't know that. And I'm thinking, of course you knew that. <laughs> you didn't hear the person. You know, <laughs> of yeah, course yeah, you knew that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> This is a two-part question, and, you know, you've taught some pretty good riders and pretty good competitors, but if you were going to say, you know, you're looking at 100 riders, 1,000 riders, what is it, what's the thing that makes a rider stand out that you say, this rider's going to go places? Is it one thing? Is it a couple of things? Well, I think it's a couple of things. The first thing you actually, when you see a rider, you it's your general impression, the position the rider has. First impression. Then, when you see them doing things, it's how the rider and the horse become one. And that's what it is with good riders. They become one. And to me, it becomes, they have to have this empathy for the horse. And without that empathy... It's mechanical, and people will get to a certain high, you know, level. But if you listen to all top riders, they talk about how they care for that horse. And it's not just a machine. You have to have the skill, but I think the, you have to combine it with empathy. And this total desire, it's the passion to do the work. Because it takes hours of work. I mean, the old saying is attitude versus aptitude. You can be a really good rider, but if you're lazy, it's useless. If you're, you can take an, an average to above average rider and through work, make them pretty special. Attitude. We've certainly talked about it before, but the attitudes. I think even as a beginner rider, you know, beginner rider the first time they're on a horse, are they the sort of person who's, got a certain amount of just self-confidence or are they the sort of person who's going to be nervous and jump and, you know, think of excuses and everything else right from the beginning? Yeah. 
What about a horse? You know, think about, I know you see, and, and I know that, you know, we've talked about having the right rider, which is important in the team. But if you were, say, asked to look for a young horse for someone and you go out and you're teaching, you know, hundreds or thousands of horses, and there might be one that attracts your attention that you think, I wonder if this horse is for sale, if it ever comes up for sale, you know, one of my other riders might be interested. What would it be that's going to attract your attention about a young horse that where you might be thinking that it's got a bit of talent, can go places? The first thing I look at is its stride, how it canters, and then I look at its um, technique and carefulness. So when you say how it canters, the stride, I know you're going to say read the book, which we will talk about in the next (laughs) chat, but the stride, you know, the length of stride, the distance when a horse canters between the back legs, what are we particularly looking at in the canter stride? Well, you see, you have to, in order to get around lower level courses, you need three different stride lengths. You get around Olympic courses, seven, seven different stride lengths. So you start out with middle and then you have three on each side. The main thing is we cannot make a bigger stride, but we can train in a smaller stride. So we have to have a horse that has a big stride to begin with. So then, because getting to the jumps is the hardest part about jumping a course. And so after that, so determine that the horse has a big enough stride. And then it goes into training. Okay. For, you can see horses' natural instincts for their technique. And are they careful and brave? Um, so, I mean, I tell all this. You know, the horse has that technique. They have to be careful. They have to be brave. But one of the nicest horses I ever rode was, to begin with, one of the worst jumpers I've ever sat on. But then one day, it all clicked in, and he became a superstar. So you start out with the ideal, but sometimes there are freaks that, you know, make your theory wrong. But they've got to be able to be able to move, have the technique to do the job. And it all comes down to confirmation. Part of that is confirmation. And then, of course, you have who can judge the heart. Hard to know. So I'd say stride technique, careful, heart. What's the horse who's given you the most knowledge as an individual? You know, what have you learned? Is there one horse that stood out and all of a sudden something clicked, all of a sudden something that you thought, right, this horse, I'm going to be forever grateful because they taught me this? Okay, it's actually a horse called Wee Geordie. Um, He was a 17-hand thoroughbred. And I'm not very tall. And um, he could—he he was an ex-steeplechaser, and he could get strong on me. And it was actually when I first started riding with George Morris. George was in his um, classic stage, and everything had to go in a snaffle drop nose band and running martingale. Well, that was all very good, but well and good, but he's... The horse used to run away with me. 
And George would go, I can hold the horse in the snaffle, why can't she? Well, that wasn't going to happen. So anyway, we learned to, about bits, what would work with him and, and with my height and my strength and things. He taught me to do a lot of flat work so I could ride him better. But I had to have a bit so I could ride him. Then I could train him. And the best piece of information I ever got about riding that horse, and I use it all the time, I was at the Royal Winter Fair in Toronto, and I was a junior, but I was showing in the open jumper division. And I was having a great round, and then Jordy stopped on me. Just slammed the brakes on. Oh, and I was crushed, you know. Anyway, I was cooling the horse out later, and it's an international show. And the um, actual coach of the Irish team came up to me, and he went, little girl, never let go of a stopper. And then he walked away. And I had no idea what he was talking about. And I walked, kept on walking, and then he came up again. He said, never let go of a stopper. Do you know what I mean? I said, I don't know. And I was probably 16 at the time. He went, and I wish I could say it in an Irish accent. He said, you never let go of a stopper with your leg, your hand, or your eyes. So in other words, your eyes are directing you, and you're always keeping the horse connected between your leg and your hand. You never let go with your hand or your leg. And that horse never stopped again on that advice. And he jumped big jumps. And no, I'm not saying you hang onto the back teeth or anything, but it's learning that connection of leg to hand and the automatic release. Yeah. So he taught me a lot of flat work so I could ride him. And then learning to ride him. And he took me over big jumps, big, big jumps, and won a lot of good prizes. And I thank him very much. He, I also used to sit on him in his stall and learn my Latin verbs. I chanted the clenchons of Latin verbs. On I think he learned quite a bit of Latin, too, also. <laughs> there was um, an exercise, and I can't remember where I saw it, but, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm fairly sure it was one of your riders. And they were riding, and it's an exercise. The reason that I was interested is it's an exercise that I'd done, I'd learned. And, of course, you know, you're talking about you learn a technique, and then, of course, you want to teach it to your own students. But I had to stop teaching it because I thought this is silly. Just because I can do it doesn't mean they can do it. And it was an exercise where you just have the bit and the reins, but without the headpiece of the bridle. Mm-hmm. And you used that because I saw it on one of your riders. Okay, uh, is that- actually I don't, but you did see it on one of the in one of the pictures. Okay, okay. And the reason that horse is a head shaker, and we couldn't put a bridle on it, so. It, it would only take the bit. But what it does is it the exercise actually teaches contact. Yes, yes. Which is good yep. if the rider's ready and the horse is the right type of temperament to be able to do that, you know. So if the rider's ready and the horse is a suitable temperament to do it, it's a good exercise. But, it, you know, it can go a little bit wrong too. And Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so there was a reason, I think, why I stopped teaching it. <laughs> for sure, for sure. 
All right. Now, thinking about going out to a clinic, you're, you know, you've got a whole lot of riders that you've never seen before. What's a common fault you see just that you straight away go, right, is it position? Is it something else? What do you work on first up? You know, is there just something common that you say, this is what we need to work on first? Actually, what I do is I talk to the riders a little bit, and then I tell them I want them to go and warm up a bit on their own with purpose and direction. The purpose is you're going to be jumping a course. So in order to jump a course, you have to go forward, come back, turn left and right. I probably should be in your warm-up. So I watch so they are to have purpose in their warm-up and direction in that they're not just wandering, they're riding definite figures, and that they're paying attention. And what to me is important, they're paying attention to where other people are. And they're, they're not just this prince or princess, you know, in the ring by themselves. It's very interesting to watch that. You can get, you can figure out people quite quickly, actually. Yeah. So when you're looking at this, you know, something to finish off with so that people can go away and go, right, I need to, you know, just check this, just focus on it. Just Is there something that you could say to them, you know, this is one thing that you need to check and needs to be, you know, we talk about basics, but something that they need to look at or, or just something to check, they might be fine. I just keep thinking that every time I talk to someone, it's about education and you've certainly given us lots of education and lots to think about, but is this something that we need to say, focus on this uh, or check this, you know, the next time you're riding? What would that be? I think actually one of the biggest problems is people don't follow directions very well. They only half listen. I call them yuppers. You're giving directions, you know, and what you want to do and the person's going, yep, 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 and you know they're not listening. So what I think people should actually do is tell themselves what they're going to do. Like that you have to trot down the side of the ring, do a serpentine of three loops, chant of the middle loop. You know, it's several things, several definite steps that they have to do. And then they have to go, go follow their own directions. It's um, in that they actually go where they want to go. People don't they wander a lot you know i mean every time you ride you're you're forming habits either good habits or bad habits why not form good habits you're riding them you're right yeah i think so i think so i think you know and i mean even just being able to certainly within you know you're marked for it within the dressage arena it comes up you may not be marked if it's a straight show jumping but the quality of your Jumping, it's reflected in your results. Jump is only yep. as good as your approach. Yes. You know, and that is your track. And it's just as important in jumping as it is in the dressage ring. You might not, as you say, be judged on that actual track, but the jump tells us the story. Jen, just, you know, thinking now, and, you know, we're sort of in the middle of COVID and, and there's lots of other things going on, but the next, you know, 12 months, what are you looking forward to? What do you plan on doing? Oh, let me think. Well, getting off my hill, actually. <laughs> I had I was supposed to have a very busy spring. I had nine clinics that I was doing in Canada and the States, and that was all canceled. 
and we were going to go to Kenya with our grandchildren. That was canceled, of course. So what am I looking forward to? Just going out and schooling some nice horses. We've had no horse, horse shows here. They've been canceled. So I guess normalcy, getting back to what it was. But it's been interesting here because we've had no horse shows. But I can, I can do small, you know, groups of teaching. But what I've noticed is people are saying that this COVID lockdown we've been on isn't a bad thing because they've actually started to enjoy their horses again. And the stress of having to compete is gone and they're actually having fun. They're going out on trail rides. They're going beach riding. You know, they're having fun, and they're remembering why they have the horse. So what am I looking forward to? That people can keep that love of the horse that we all started with and then continue with their showing and things or whatever, but keep remembering why they are doing it. I think that's a really strong message as well, you know, remember why yeah. why you started, you know, remember yourself as that 10 or 12-year-old girl and the joy that you had just mucking out stables and, you know, cleaning gear. Look, go back to that again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jen, if people would like to contact you, and we will talk about your book in another episode, but if they're interested in your book or need to contact you to organise a clinic or something, what's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, by email. It's Jen, J-E-N, Hamilton, 60 at gmail.com. Okay. Now, those results as well, you know, people, regular listeners will realise they can just go to horsechats.com, search for Jen, search for Hamilton, search for either of those and um, at the bottom of your page. So every chat we do, we'll have a, um, a separate page and at the bottom of each page, those contact details will be there as well. So... I've got to say, Jen, thank you for coming. It's, Wait it's a minute. Been, One yeah. more thing. I also have a Facebook thing, which is Jen Marsden, M-A-R-S-D-E-N, Hamilton Equestrian Coach. But the problem with that, if you give me a message on that, I don't know how to find them. <laughs> I'm not So if you want to message me, use the email. But if you want to see what's happening, go to the Facebook page. Okay. Okay, then. All right. Great to chat to you, Jen, and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Okay, I'll talk to you soon then. Bye-bye. Okay, bye now. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.